Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. Busy weekend there, Derek. It has been. I see that you got out. And so did you. Yes. <laughs> Release the hounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I headed up to uh, Halliburton Water Trails. Uh, Camper Christina was up there for the weekend, because it was a long weekend here yep. in, in Canada. Um, I decided I'd head up with the kayak for the day and we'd go out in the water and she'd give me some tips on paddling and we didn't do any uh, of the wet exits and stuff like that. Didn't get that far, but it's kind of cold, was it? It was. And mm-hmm. it, it was raining as yeah, well. Yeah, You went on the Saturday. Yeah, right? I went on the Saturday. <clears throat> so it was raining all day, but I mean, you know what? We're out there and we're getting wet anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it worked on the, the, the um, paddle techniques. strokes and techniques and stuff like that. And remember last week I was saying, like, I was watching these guys from the American Canoe Kayak Association, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. And he's bringing his paddle like way up his hand. Yeah. technique. And uh, yeah, we're going through that. And she said, you know what? You, you're going too high with that. Keep it all in the same plane. So she gave me a couple of techniques. Mm-hmm. And once I started getting that down in the turn, yeah. I, I was going like a shot, yeah. nice and like, straight. And, and I, I saw, I, the, I did the same thing when I first started. I took lessons out BC. And, you know, you try and do the perfect stroke. And even for um, whitewater kayaking, mm-hmm. they show you the perfect stroke. But you quickly learn that it's exhausting to do the perfect stroke constantly. Yeah. You, you have to be a little bit slack in it. You can't do the perfect stroke constantly. And, and well, me and you, we watched some videos of, of sculling yep. where they did the perfect stroke, but they're in a race Yes, and it's a sprint and it's like less than three minutes and whatever and is done. Or if there's you know, whatever, they, they don't, you they're do not that. doing it for four hours. No. No, you couldn't do it for four hours. No, no. So you have to, you have to relax into it. You have to, and really, you're out there to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You're not out there to kill your shoulders and kill your elbows no. and give yourself tennis elbow. It's, it's all about, uh, you know, you, it's nice to know the proper techniques so that you could reach into it for in a pinch, like if, you know, headwinds or tides or whatever. But then, you know, otherwise you're just kind of relaxing into the stroke and enjoying it. Right. You know what? And that was exactly it. And once I, I, I listened to what she was saying and, and, and whatnot, and uh, yeah, stroke up better and it was more comfortable to do. Yes. Um, and yeah, I was, I was saying more in a straight line and I mean, time depends on the wind and stuff like that, but uh, you know, a little bit of wave, that sort of thing. Um, but no, you know what? I got that going and was, was paddling yep. pretty good. We went paddling around for a couple of hours, did some fishing, caught one fish. <laughs> Who caught the fish? Who do you think? Camper Christina? No. That would be my assumption. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Caught a bass, and of course, bass season doesn't start, so off it goes. Yeah. I uh, was hoping to get some trout, but there was none. Oh, no? No, we just caught the one bass, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, what are you going to do? But there was, uh, yeah, you know, a, a lot of rain. Um, and then afterwards, we sat under the tarp for a bit, had a bite to eat, and chit-chatted, and uh, then uh, I headed on home. But the mosquitoes and bugs... Had an interesting thought. Did you? I did. Over the dozens of years of evolution of the humans. Dozens? <laughs> Over the millennia? The dozens and dozens of years of evolution. How come humans, and all mammals for that matter, like uh, cows, horses, deer, moose, all that sort of stuff, how come they've never developed, a, like evolved some sort of way to repel? A defensive mechanism? Yeah. Like some pheromonal release or... To chase, yeah. To chase mosquitoes yeah. away. Or, you know, like get some sort of frog reflex and eat them. <laughs> Human version of a thermocell or, yeah. or a really long tongue, quicker reflexes, yeah. a tail to flick the bugs Because away. you know what? When you're when you're out there canoeing and there's thousands of bugs around, you get you get, you get get to the end of the day and you got to make camp. You don't need to make dinner because you've been eating all day <laughs> yeah, long, <exactly>. right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I was just sitting there thinking like, of everything that, you know, I mean, over, yeah. over you know, the evolution, mm-hmm. how come the one thing that bugs everybody, pun intended, we've never been able to evolve a defense for? And in some cases, we even sometimes have crippling allergies because of mm-hmm. it, right? My brother is allergic to, he's, apparently there's more than one type of species or something of mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And he's allergic to only certain ones. Really? Yeah, because you can see he'll get little bites, and then all of a sudden he'll get this one massive one, and that's what the the doctor told him. Huh. Yeah, that you're allergic to only certain, certain. species of huh. of mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, yeah. Anyway, that was my sort of as I'm just tootling around. It's curious, wondering. eh? Yeah, you'd think we'd uh, 
have developed some defensive mechanism, some immunity, something. But, like, but I guess it, because it doesn't kill you, it doesn't... You, you, doesn't make you stronger, though. Evolutionary things are usually something that if it's hazardous or whatever, then it kills off the weak and the strong prevail. And that evokes evolution, right? But a bug bite is just a bug bite, mm. right? I don't care. <laughs> this evolution thing sucks right now. I agree. Especially the beginning of bug season. Um, and you what went, else? Did you go kayak again on Sunday? Uh, I, I no, thought I saw you post no, a picture I was, with I was the looking to kayak. backcountry custom canoes kayak. Or is that from no. previous? Oh, that was trip? from previous, yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, I had to do some things on the honeydew list on Sunday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we went and saw Deadpool on Monday. Ah, I still got to go see that. Good movie. Good movie. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Don't take your little kids. <laughs> do not <laughs> do take not your little take kids. The children. If it's somebody like, doesn't like swearing in a movie, do not so take the, them. They'd be like the series Brockmire. Don't take mm-hmm. the kids. Don't let them see it. Don't let them see it. <laughs> and you got away this weekend with the whole family. I did. And it's uh, it, it would be glamping. And because of initially there was a threat of rain. So in the past I've taken all like bicycles and canoes and whatever and and you know it rains and it's like well that was a waste of time bringing all this gear so I just decided considering that the weather was so iffy and I had the kids there and the, my mother-in-law joined us and so I thought you know what I'm just going to keep it simple we'll do hikes mm-hmm. so and that's what we did we uh it rained pretty much all day Saturday so we got out in the rain in the umbrellas and we stomped in some mud puddles and stuff like that as but, you do uh, yeah but we left the kayaks or the canoe and the uh the bicycles at home this time and uh and I, I guess you could say we went glamping because we were in an RV, but it was it was nice. So it was uh, it was a nice big family weekend. It uh, we went to Emily Provincial Park first time we were up there. Yeah, we've only been there once. Yeah. and that was that was a number of years ago now. I liked it. It was nice, and it's forty five minutes away from home. Yeah. So well, that's what we liked about it. Mm-hmm. It's almost nice like close. going to Darlington, but that's close to you, so we don't yeah. go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, originally we tried to get into Darlington because it's the first trip of the season with the RV. It's like yeah. to work out the bugs for the Everybody season. Everybody loves Darlington. Oh, I like it. It's, well, I think it's because it's so close to home, right? It is. There's, yeah. There is that. And it, it does have a lot of hiking trails. It's mm-hmm. got the beach. It's on Lake Ontario. and Which they, you can't swim in half the time. It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> But it was booked up when we tried to book, and when we looked in Ontario, there was uh, there was like a couple places up north, like uh, I'm talking like four or five hours away, or there was Emily Provincial Park, so we picked the close one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember it was a it was a nice little campground, especially when the kids are small. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah, you know, and they had some um, animal uh, little teaching things and classes the kids could go to they didn't have much this weekend because it's still early like they still early they say that it's not till june a lot of those programs start up because of you know it's usually summer students who do all that work yeah and so they we did get to see they have a turtle there Mm -hmm. it's a uh it's a rescue turtle from somebody who stole it from the wild and couldn't take care of it so now it's a teaching tool and it uh so we got to look at that and and say hi to the turtle the kids loved it but uh, so it was great because it ends up being a teaching tool, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they, somebody took it home and they didn't realize it was going to get so big. M&R found out about it, took it away from them. And uh, it couldn't go back to the wild because it didn't know how to hunt. It didn't know how to protect itself from predators. And it would uh, die the first winter because it wouldn't have known how to hibernate, right? Right. So they decided that, well, we, now we've got it. And she was saying, I said, well, how long you guys got it for now? She said they live up to 120 years. That's like people with, well, somebody we know. He got a couple little turtles when he was a kid, and now he's in his early 50s, and he still has them. <laughs> like, like, holy cow. <laughs> the pet that keeps on giving. <laughs> but that's like parrots. Yes, parrots are people, 80 years. People will leave parrots in their will yes. to their like family and friends. Yeah. That's a huge commitment, isn't it? Though, and and it just in my experience, like uh, when I I I would look at getting getting a uh, a gray, mm-hmm. an African gray parrot, and uh, but then I started looking into it, and and you know they they live up to eighty years, and the biggest issue is they're a very smart animal, but they're also susceptible to uh, incorrect treatment and training, so if you train them with bad habits. That's 80 years of bad habits, right? 
And oh, so, the things I would teach that bird to say. <laughs> and, and that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. And so, like, I, when I started looking at it, I started looking at rescues and adoptions. And, and there's big risks because there's some of these parents who just can't stand children, can't stand dogs or cats mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Or have such nervous conditions that they pluck all their feathers out. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. So... I guess turtles aren't that smart, so but still, you don't fish. you don't want a turtle. You, you want don't a goldfish. Leave them in the water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a goldfish. If if it you a know. hammy hamster. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that you know the years are measured on one hand. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we've got the one cat's just passed away. We have one cat left who's gone deaf and is senile, and we've got <laughs> yes. a dog who's our vet has told us this week that he's got. Uh, yeah, he's got arthritis and yeah, you and can whatnot. see that when yeah. he tries to walk. Yeah, so but I mean, he's twelve now. Yeah, the well, the cat's, cat's like what, seventeen. 18? Yeah, I saw the cat so. earlier. He he looked sideways and staggered sideways. It's like well, oh, he's always done that. He has to look straighter. Yeah. No, our our um, uh, vet said that he's mentally handicapped. Handicapped. Wow. Like right when he was a little kitten, he said, "Yeah, yeah there's something wrong with your cat. He's mentally handicapped. and like he'll walk." He'll cock his head to one side and he'll walk circles. He'll straighten his head and then continue on like nothing <laughs> happened. Like, <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay. He's great at parties, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, here's my cat. What's he doing? Circles. Oh, there he goes. What was that? So, anyway. Yikes. <laughs> so it was a good weekend. Um, I'm thinking, well, they're, they're right now they're calling for lightning and thunderstorms this weekend. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, the wife's working at the college on the weekend, so I was going to scoot out for some paddling oh but if they're calling for thunder and you know they call me lightning rod <laughs> and they'll be in that kayak with that yeah metal paddle <laughs> i'd be the same way i uh, i self-injured myself twice on the weekend i chipped a tooth which i fixed got fixed today at noon i had a emergency uh tooth de-chipping chip re- de-chipping i guess you could call it <laughs> so that was what that was uh saturday morning in the rain and then on Sunday, on Sunday night, I, uh, we got into the fireplace and making s'mores. And, uh, well, I tell you, those marshmallows can get darn hot. So I've lost a lot of, uh, a, a huge layer of skin off the roof of my mouth. Awesome. So I, there's, there's, uh, I can't brush the backsides of my upper teeth right now because I just can't go near them. And it, it's, it bleeds off and on. <laughs> <laughs> s'mores are hot <laughs> you're a putz but you know it, i uh i have to say that uh i blame you you blame me i blame you why do you blame me because i tried for the first time to cook in a aluminum oh you pan. used my cheater method i used your cheater method ah uh, was Holy it better though is it better oh they get huh? hot but does the chocolate melt? The, and, that's and the marshmallow the melts? See, the chalk, everybody else, like we had a bunch of other people at the campsite and they were doing it the normal way. Mm-hmm. And so they're crunching through the, the, the chocolate hard piece and of chocolate. That, yeah. and, uh-huh. and, and unfortunately, mine were good, but the, you had to wait a while. Hot damn! <laughs> I dug right in and was like, hey, look at this. <laughs> and my teeth went through the uh, granola cracker or the whatever. Yeah, the graham cracker. Graham cracker. Yeah. And, and it's like, hey, this is. Oh! Yeah, nice hot <laughs> melted chocolate so with squirted, sticky hot yeah. melted mush- marshmallow. Oh man! Right in the roof of your mouth. Oh so yeah! So after after I get rid of that piece of uh, s'mores, I reached up and touched the roof of my mouth, and a layer of skin was on my finger. It just melted off like that. It just detached. But once they cooled a bit, <laughs> yes, to proper eating They're temperature, fantastic and dripping isn't it, chocolate. Isn't it great? It is. It and is there's the no way to do it because the yeah the chocolate never melts normally. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be really. I don't know what technique or I've never seen anybody where the chocolate actually melted, except for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you take one of those uh, aluminum turkey pans that you buy yeah. at the store. You lay it with the 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 s'more yeah. or the the graham cracker. Then you put a, you cut a marshmallow in half, put half of it down. Yeah. You put the piece of chocolate, the other half of marshmallow, and then the other piece of ground cracker. So you lay those all out, all ready to go. Yep. Then you get another tray or some t- uh, a tin foil. You lay that over top, and then you just put that on the on top of the fire, and basically cook all those s'mores mm-hmm. inside. All the heat goes around and everything like that, and it melts everything. Then you yep. take it off, take the 
You let it cool for a second, and then when you pick up one of the already made s'mores, the marshmallows all melted, the chocolates all melted, and everything is a perfect s'more. Because you know why I do that? Because I don't have time to wait to melt a marshmallow between each. No, I want it. I want it. So I can eat. Because if we lay, I think we lay like 12 in there and there's four of us. So there's like three of them ready for me. Yeah. Bang. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got lazy one day and hey, it works though. But they are so good. When I was making supper tonight, I saw the leftover half bag of marshmallows on the counter. It's like, hmm. So I, I grabbed some from some shish kebab skewers and I was doing it over the gas stove in my kitchen. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, it was, hey, wrong it with was that. perfect until the <laughs> fire alarm went off. Well, you didn't see me this weekend drinking. What was it? The Jack Daniels Tennessee Honey with Lemonade. Yeah. And peanut butter and jam sandwiches. <laughs> no one said I was sophisticated. <laughs> we had Grolsch non-alcoholic beer. Was it gluten free and no? It's it and, was a dry uh, weekend, right? Oh, I never seen so many patrols. Dry weekend, all provincial parks are dry weekend this week. Oh, that's right. You yeah. can't have alcohol in yeah. them. And yeah, they were four. patrolling. Yeah, like uh, I, I probably I never I saw the parks vehicles go by and not just the Emily Provincial Park, but also the MNR vehicles going by. What about OPP? No, not them. Okay, because we had an issue a few years back. Well. More than a few years back, because the kids were just little. Um, at the end of the middle of the night, it was the OPP that were coming around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, there was cars. Like, maybe some of them I don't know OPP because it was dark. Yeah, but I, I, it was like every twenty minutes, one of them drove by our campsite. Like wow. they were keeping an eye on things, and they would slow down to almost a stop, and then go and slow down to the next one almost to a stop, and like they were keeping a close eye. At the very least, they're letting people know they're watching. Mm-hmm. So. Keep, you know, yeah. I had uh, a four and a seven-year-old, and they, uh, oh, how old's Claire? She must be in her 70s, plus me and Siobhan, right? Unless she's listening, then she's 29. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't listen. <laughs> 104, you say? <laughs> yeah, there was no partying going on on our site. No. But you know what? It's it's nice that, you know what? There's so many people out paddling this weekend. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing all these canoe pictures and all these kayak pictures and, and everything. People are, it's out there. Everybody's out yeah. there. Was is Despite the rain. I mean, there were some people that were just like, eh, it's raining. But you know what? The amount of people I saw going out paddling. Yeah. I, phenomenal. We saw, we saw tons of people too. And what was wild was, uh, so we, we, we spent a lot of time wandering the park. We always like to go around and, and walk the park itself and see what oh, some yeah. of the campsites look like, right? So we wandered around and it was chock-a-block. It was full. I think we saw two empty sites and that was it. And uh, so we, we, and then on Monday when we checked out, we, we left late. We just took our time. We left at like the two o'clock. Well, you're, you're only 45 leave. minutes away. Yeah, right? we're only 45. So we took our time. So when we left, we took a drive around and it was, it was, it was like people vaporized. It was like, yeah. we're everywhere. It's like a ghost we, town all of a sudden. Yeah, it was incredible. It's like, you know, you'd, you'd, I think we saw like three or four sites in the whole park that were still occupied. Mm-hmm. So obviously they were either leaving really late or they were staying for a week or something. Yeah. Right? It's, it's amazing when you see that, like uh, on the Sundays, like people get up Sunday morning, like first Crack thing. It on and, and yeah. It's like, no, we'll grab something later and packed up and yeah. they're gone. And we're like. Wow. One of our neighbors was like that. Like it was, I was heading off to the shower at like 8.30 in the morning and They're his already tent was already up. down. Yeah. It's like, what's going on? Yeah. Because <laughs> this time of year, you're not really, you don't get all the travelers yet. No. These no. are people getting out for the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. They're, so that's kind of like. heading back to yeah. wherever they're coming from. Because it was a bit different. Like when we drove across to Canada last year, that was different. You're up first thing yeah. because you had a full day of driving. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're, you're up, you're breakfast, you're washed, trailers packed. Yeah. taken down and you hit the road first exactly. thing right you know you you want to be on the road by eight so well we're looking forward to now because we, it's we're not we don't do a lot of car camping we try not to mm-hmm. the only reason we do is because we have this new rv yeah but otherwise like we're looking forward to getting back into algonquin park and stuff yeah well, i mean if you go for the trailer the up with that thing and put the canoes on it and the bikes in it yeah you're golden man yeah oh yeah, yeah. and yeah you know what we did we did enjoy having the pop-up trailer with the with the kids because sometimes they'd meet other kids and on rainy days yeah, exactly. they sit at the table and they'd watch like their their we'd throw a movie on the 
Well, they had the portable DVD players yeah. at the time. Uh, but then, yeah, you get into the laptops and you throw a movie on the laptop and they, they, they would sit there and their friends and they, you know, they'd watch yeah. a movie or something like that to occupy their time on a rainy day. We got them doing crafts. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Stella made some bookmarks and Beckett made an octopus uh, or a, a quadrupus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're supposed to have eight legs. The other ones are hidden behind the first four. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, we're calling it a quadrupus. <laughs> yeah, it's good it's season started. Uh, we've talked about season starting uh, with the warmer weather and getting out. We've talked yeah. about ticks a few times. Yes. Uh, you don't want to beat this to death, but, but there is something that came to light that we've never thought about. And it, it amazes me when... It, like it, once in a while or often yeah i'd say often with this show it's like we suddenly walk into a wall it's like wow i never saw that coming well i mean we thought we'd done everything about ticks and we're yeah i mean i know you told me about this and i'm like oh not another tick thing because we've talked about ticks yeah to in the blue i thought i had a tick on me yeah it was just dirt just dirt <laughs> <laughs> oh that flicked right off yeah. Oh, yeah look at that no no that's just dirt <laughs> So you found out. I found, I found a, uh, I was roaming on Twitter and uh, I found a doctor from Ottawa who he posed a question on Twitter. Uh, have you, have you ever contracted Lyme and how were you treated and stuff like that? And there's a lot of responses and I found uh, multiple Twitter accounts for uh, Ontario Lyme disease this and Lyme disease that a couple American ones and and so and the, all those led to different stories this that and then but then one of them somebody made a comment and somebody else posted a study from I think it was university do you recall anyways it was a it was some sort of study some sort of report and uh, so they didn't they, well okay Lyme disease is various uh, bacterial strains. Right. So Which this we one, can't pronounce. Exactly. <laughs> so this one is two words and one of the words is babiosis. So this babiosis strain for Lyme disease, they uh, they said that, and if with a lot of Lyme disease, they, we don't have reliable tests. They're nope. just starting to come up with tests. We talked a couple weeks ago about a doctor uh, from the States who has discovered a the protein strain that is mm -hmm. a result of the bacteria. So it's the protein that, the, the signature of the protein from the uh, from the bacteria. So they're getting, they're getting, we're getting closer, close. but they don't have reliable yes. ones. And this is worldwide. They don't have... Exactly. screening tests. Yeah, and Canada's horrible from it, apparently. Mm -hmm. But anyways, they were saying about this, the this strain of Lyme disease, they said the concern is, uh, and it's like, whoa, the top of my head blew off when I read it. It's like, what? It was, uh, there's no effective methods of monitoring and for testing. And so when it comes to blood donations through the Red Cross or for whatever, when they do the mm -hmm. blood drives, there's no effect. They don't have a test. They don't test for the, these strains of bacteria in people's blood. So if you get bitten by a tick and you have Lyme disease and because we don't, we test so badly for it in Canada, you're going to be giving. A, because it stays in your blood. It stays in your blood. So, so you could donate. You could donate Lyme infected blood to somebody who is our immune system could already be compromised. So they could have, uh, you know, like um, uh, organ don't. Uh, if somebody yeah, has an organ, organ transplant, yeah. they take medication to stop the body from rejecting. So it suppresses the immune system, and so you give this person a blood donation with Lyme disease, and nine days later, when the, the bingo bango big uh, bloom of bacteria bursts through your system, they're they're already compromised, yeah. right? So it makes you wonder how many people, and so. Uh, Obviously, this is this is something that's being pushed now. So nobody really knows if this has been an effect, a detriment in the past. What they're saying is that we need to start paying attention to this. We need to start monitoring for this at the time of the blood donation. Well, I came across a couple of things. And one of them was if anyone who has been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome is indefinitely banned by Canadian blood service from donating blood to suspicions that a retrovirus called xenotropic murine leukemia virus related virus is in it. 
Okay, yeah. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> so if you have um, chronic fatigue syndrome, they think there's something in your blood. They don't know for sure. They yeah. just think yeah. that there may be something that causes And it's CFS, better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry. Yeah. So, of course, they bring around the whole tainted blood scandal from about 20 years ago. Exactly. The AIDS. Right? HIV yeah. and all that. All these people got infected yeah. and that sort of deal. So, all of a sudden it said, you know, like they said, that we need, if there's even a hint that something may be in our blood, you know, do not let them yes. donate. Stop it right off the bat, which is what they have done with chronic fatigue syndrome. Exactly. They don't know for sure, but they have a, a suspicion. So, boom, sorry, you're cut off. With Lyme disease. It's not even on the radar. They say, they haven't even started saying that yet. They haven't mm-hmm. even said, you know what? If, if you think you've got Lyme disease or you may have or, no. Yeah. You cannot donate. They haven't, they're not even saying, nope, that's Yeah, not, it's not which even is on the radar. The, they, you know what? Hopefully it doesn't come back and bite him in the ass. I know. Because that's huge. And and what amazes me through some of my research is that uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. And so, okay, this is people commenting and people telling their personal stories. So there's no direct trackable evidence of how the health system is working to f- combat Lyme disease. But from the anecdotal evidence, it's Canada is doing horrible. The mm-hmm. America, they... The Americans, hey, they train their doctors to recognize Lyme disease, but they've been dealing with this for decades. Canada, just because of the changing of climate and warming and these tick-borne diseases are moving northwards, right? Well, the Lone Star Tick is coming up this exactly. way now. And yeah. Nor- uh, noro virus. Powassan virus. Powassan virus. Yeah. So all these things are coming up. So, and... Uh, some of the comments from some nurses that I've read online there is that they don't have any training to recognize any tick-borne Lyme-type diseases, mm-hmm. and doctors aren't trained for it either. It's only through experience that they learn about it. So if you have a doctor in a city center who doesn't come across They're Lyme not gonna disease, know. they'll not, not know. And in a lot of cases, uh, Canadians have traveled to the States where the experience is, and say, listen, I think I have Lyme disease. So they get some tests done and say, yes, yes, you do. Mm-hmm. And they treat. But, you know, if it, the longer you have Lyme disease, the more of it will remain in your system even after you fully recover. So, yeah, well, that's what they say is like some people re, are dealing with the effects of it. Yeah. For years. After. Exactly. So like if you if you get treated right away when so if you recognize and the doctor recognizes that you got you were bit, bitten by a Lyme disease carrying tick then they'll treat you right away and you're 100% cured there's no issue there's never anything a problem but if you are dealing with this for 5 or 10 years until finally you get diagnosed you may only come back 65%, 85%. Mm-hmm. You're never going to fully recover because it's too ingrained in your body and you can't eradicate the whole thing. And see, those people you'd think should be banned from donating blood. Exactly, exactly. And which is what they're, they're the study And that's is what the study, yeah. Is, yeah. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens. But it's mind-blowing so, though, eh? It's isn't like, it? How did I never think of this? Somebody has Lyme disease, donates blood, gives Lyme disease to a compromised patient. Oh. <laughs> Yes, huh. the uh, blood scandal again. Yeah. Wow. What's next? Um, what's next is... Oh, I mean, what, what's going to kill us next? <laughs> yeah. What, what's next is we stay indoors all the time in a bubble. Um, what's next? Next, you starting another book? I am. Are you going to read this one? Uh, I, you just, you just no, ordered it. I intend to read this one. I've uh, looked up some of the, uh, I've looked up some of the uh, portions of it. Like you can read portions on Amazon where I bought the book. I'm going to order this book, and not only going to order it, I'm going to read it, and not just the back page. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the, it, because this book is no longer in print, it's a pre-read book, so I won't have to worry about cracking the spine. It comes pre-cracked. Oh, so we won't know if you actually read it, or you're just saying you read it. Yeah, this is true. There will be a test at the end of this book. <laughs> But yeah, I was, uh, for something that we're going to be talking about a little bit later, I came across this book and I've seen anecdotal evidence for it before. And uh, my friend Pierre Terrian, he uh, he did a lot of research into 
this information and we actually went and spent a week up north looking for these roots so what what we're talking about here is Nostoggin. it's uh the book is Nostoggin, the canadian north by canoe and snowshoe it's uh it's all anecdotal storytelling uh historical essays about northern canada and discovering canada in canoe by summer snowshoe by winter and stuff like that so it was uh it's it really when you get into it it talks about and discusses even though i've only seen the tomogamy region of the uh Nost- roots it's uh it talks about everything east of ontario ontario and east of ontario because all of the all the historical and cultural findings of of canada and who we are and how we became what we are the the spread of of people through canada you know back in the fur trading era back with the natives all used all these native roots these nostigan native roots and uh, they the book talks in detail about the making and searching it's all it's all word of mouth you know what tribes were where and on what routes and uh you you basically you you uh you could travel like about nine to ten months of the year and there's shoulder seasons where you couldn't travel because the ice cover was too thin yeah. or breaking up or whatever so it talks about all these winter routes summer routes and you know the portages and you know the in the winter the the winter routes and so it's uh it's it's really interesting and uh it it gets back into what some of the stuff that i had done previously up north with uh with uh, the group of guys that i canoe with and we had we had spent a week just searching out a we went and found one small section of the noskin roots and it was a lost route and we knew it was lost it was uh it was no longer recorded, but the anecdotal evidence shows where it would have been. So we went and searched out this route. We found portions of the route. We couldn't find it all, but we found portions of it. And and uh, if I knew now what I knew then, I'm, I think we could have found all of it. Just because knowing that they avoided any fast water because ice would be thin there. Mm-hmm. So they would extend their winter routes and... and uh, these winter summer routes they never may really maintain them because of the use would maintain itself and they said if trees fell down over it they would just drop some branches and go around the tree and but it was it's interesting to hear about the creation and maintenance by the uh by the natives of these uh of these roots back in the day before you know uh, mankind uh, you know the settlers and stuff like that started you know fur trading and and moving into the deeper forest with, with trading with the natives for furs and whatnot right mm-hmm. and this is this book's a, a collection of historical essays yes about northern canada yeah from what i saw it was like muskoka's the barons the copper mine northern journeys by women is one of the big ones yes yep. tomogamy and so much more mm-hmm and uh, so you got the you don't have it yet. It's on order. No, it's on order. It's uh, they they gave a range like May twenty fifth to June fifth, so I won't have it for a while, mm. and I'll probably have it read by twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Excellent. <laughs> we'll pencil that in. We'll pencil an episode in talking book club. But this one's interesting. It's uh, I don't know why I was never able to get into the other book. I don't even know the name of it. I have it. I carry it always. Look at this. Off. But you just don't read it. It's mm-hmm. it's. It's in my laptop bag. Great Heart, The History of the Labrador Adventure. James West Davison and John Rugg. Well, if you're not, not going to read it, leave it here and I'll read it. Oh, I got uh, stuff in it. Crossword puzzles inside it. Oh, you're using it to hold all your crossword puzzles. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> look at that. Look how, pristi- look how pristine it is. Huh? It hasn't been cracked. No. Oh, there's stickers in it. What stickers? I, am I don't the even think kind. I got those kind of. St- I don't think I got any of those stickers. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, I'll read. Oh, that. he gave them to me because I was going to put them on my. Uh, one's a postcard, but one's a sticker. I was going to put it on the laptop. Oh, that's the right. The sticker's so big that uh, there's no place on the laptop to put uh, it. Put on your boat. Yes, there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, so yeah, when you're done reading that, let us know what it was all about, and uh, we'll, yes, we'll have a little chit chat about it. Yeah, Martin Garster is going to make fun of me. You're not going to read that. <laughs> uh, I'll read this. Leave this here. I'll read it. Yeah, sure. And I'll tell you what it was about. Be gentle with it. <laughs> it's still a baby. <laughs> Crack the back. <laughs> so let's get into a couple of um, environmental things here. The first one. Tis the season. 
for turtles. Turtles? Turtles. We saw a turtle, turtle on turtle. the weekend. I haven't seen any turtles yet this year. I went out to paddling a couple times looking and I have not seen any turtles. Uh, but the turtles are crossing the roads at this time of year in big yes. numbers. Yes, and it's still a fairly cold spring, so mm -hmm. they're going to be sluggish and slow. So you're not going to see too many just yet. Probably, the turtles are usually slow. But even slower now because of the cold weather. They're they're, they're cold they're weather. They're only crawling right? their two legs now. They're dragging <laughs> themselves across the road. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> like they're, they're, uh, they're not coming out and doing very they're not very active currently yeah. because of the cold at night so ontario has eight species of turtles the blandings turtle the eastern musk turtle midland and western painted turtles northern map turtle snapping turtle spiny soft shell turtle spotted turtle and the wood turtle Committee of Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada designated the midland painted turtle as a special concern in april the designation means these types of turtles may soon become threatened or endangered. And because this one is now on the list, it was the last one added to the growing list of species believed to be at risk in southern Ontario. Hmm. So all the turtles are now on the uh, threatened list. I imagine the major issue with that is uh, car traffic, vehicle traffic, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the big one, especially with the snapping yep. turtles and that you see, you know, up, especially up north throughout going up Highway 60 in Algonquin Park. You see turtles all the time. I wish I'd known that we were going to talk about turtles because we, today at my work, we had a lunch and learn thing where uh, we had a turtle expert come to work and uh, talked about uh, conservation and protection and rescue of turtles and the different really? species. And they gave away all kinds of stuff. One of my coworkers, she went and went to this turtle thing and she came back with, uh, well, she came back with chocolate, turtle chocolates. Mm. They gave those out. Plus a whole bunch of... Uh, research that they gave away to people and so if if i'd known we were going to be talking about this i could have gone and learned something well i wasn't planning on talking <laughs> but i just found a few interesting things so yeah uh there has been increased number of turtle killed by vehicles and the historical loss of 70 percent of southern ontario wetland habitat mm -hmm. midland painted turtles take up to 10 years to mature and lay eggs wow isn't that something now here's the biggie this is what, like, uh, in just reading all this stuff. Yeah. Last year, Ontario animal rights activists pressured the provincial government to ban the hunting of snapping turtles, which are also at risk of disappearing. Anyone with an Ontario fishing license is allowed a maximum of two snapping turtles in a day during the summer months. I, I was no not aware idea. of that. I could have been eating turtle for the last 50 years. <laughs> I had no clue. I, I didn't know. had me a nice set of turtle shells. Exactly. Bowls and hats <laughs> and armor. Not, not that you would. Not that you would. <laughs> no, I, I would not eat it. I don't think I'd eat a turtle. But yeah, I, I had no idea this was, this was a thing. Like, you, I didn't know you could hunt for turtles. Well, not that you can now because they are actually now protected. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, snap, I was not aware because there's <laughs> been times where there's been snapping turtles right there. We had a snapping turtle take uh, one of our trout off of our uh, off our um, line a few years back. Was I think I was there with you for that. No, no, this was my buddy Kevin was on this I trip. was with somebody. Maybe I was with Mark Rubino. But it was, we, it, was on the, it was on the stringer. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. all we had was a stringer with a head. Yeah, I remember that with... Uh, it wasn't my fish, but it was somebody's fish I was camping with, and it half of it disappears. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, <laughs> well, he was sitting there. I could have just grabbed him. Yeah, <laughs> who knew? Yeah, apparently I didn't. Uh, besides driving carefully, avoiding running over slow-moving creatures, members of the public can help by reporting any sightings of turtles, injured or not, to the Ontario Nature Reptile and Amphibian Atlas Program. Well. Rewind and listen to it a couple times. <laughs> Ontario Nature Reptile and Amphibian Atlas Program. <laughs> uh, they have a website, ontarionature.org backslash programs backslash citizen science backslash reptile amphibian atlas. If you go to ontarionature.org, they have tabs at the top under programs, citizen science, reptiles and amphibians. So when you go to that page, it tells you there's an online field guide 
with photos and tips to help you with identification so you can identify which turtles they are. Yeah. Range maps showing where species are found through the province. Tips for finding reptiles and amphibians. And there's a bunch of information on the legal protection for reptiles and amphibians. You can submit your sighting. So if you find a turtle and you find, you know, oh, look, this is a painted turtle or this is a wood turtle, whatever. You can submit your sightings from your laptop or your computer. You can download an app to your phone and submit sightings from your phone or tablet. Yeah. You can submit via email. You go to their site. There's a little form that you can print off an email. Or you can be, you know, via snail mail. So you print it off, you write it out, whatever, and then you mail it to them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and it, they keep all that information, and uh, so they know where their their sightings are, and you know you can you can help the out, data, compile yeah. it all. They also have on the same page uh, this Ontario Nature, the same sort of thing, but for birds. But uh, yeah, turtles. So yeah, keep an eye out for turtles this time of year yes. because it's it's a big thing now. Uh, they're all you know very very threatened, and like you say, it takes ten years before a turtle can start reproducing. And that, that's a long time. And now you know you can no longer hunt and eat snapping turtles. I wouldn't have wanted to anyway because they're <laughs> they're scary. Yes. They'll <laughs> lose a finger. Uh, besides turtles, there's another environmental issue. If you're in Ontario and you like going to Tomogamy, save solace wildlands. Friends of Tomogamy.org. Uh, they are doing this little thing, save wildlands contains, uh, sorry, the Solace Wildlands contains some of the last roadless virgin forest in all of Tomogamy. The wildlands form an important link route between Sturgeon River Provincial Park to the west, Solace Provincial Park, and Lady Evelyn Smoothwater Provincial Park to the north, and the Pine Torch Conservation Reserve and Obabaka River Provincial Park to the east. So, I mean, this, this is a big area. I've been in all these areas. This is where we pretty much go every fall with the guys from work. And this is where we're heading up in this August, this this is, the family. It's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine starting to log it. Well, despite its value in the intact... This, I'm, I'm, I, I printed off a little thing there on their website that they've got. Uh, despite its value as an intact forest and its popularity as a link for summer camps and wilderness canoe trippers... Vermilion Forest Management has been granted approval to begin construction of a primary logging road right through the heart of Solace Wildlands. The Turner Road proposal was approved after a bridge across the Sturgeon River was denied three times. This road would cross numerous portages and campsites, and the proposal includes a bridge right above Talking Falls on the Yorkston River. Friends of Tomogamy strongly opposed the Turner Road, we believe the Solace Wildlands should remain intact and free of industry. This area is a prime candidate for further environmental protections in Tomogamy. So when you go to Hap Wilson's page, he yep. talks about he talks about this a bit. Um, he says back in the day, because he was part of this, with stopping all the, yep. the logging and, and cutting it out, they whittled away little pieces of that area not to be included in the protection and stuff oh, okay. like this. And it sounds like this is one of the areas that was sort of just to appease people. Yeah. Saying, you know what, well, okay, we won't include this because, you know, further down the road. Yeah. And I think from the, the environmentalist side, they figured, well, you know, eventually, yeah, we'll get it all protected. And it hasn't been. Hmm. So if you go to Hap Wilson's Facebook page, He's talking a few things there as well. There's some stuff that he's talking about. And there's pictures of some clear cutting that they're doing. You know, they're saying certain species is all they're doing. Yeah. And they're not, like, there's big, big space just gone. Well, yeah, you know, it, I think we, both of us have seen, we have experience with logging and Gogwin Park and stuff like that. And and if you don't hold people to rules, if you don't hold uh, logging companies to certain standards, you, know, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? Yep. And, and it's just the nature of the thing. It's it's For them, it's business. And so you can understand that. So that's why, from our end of things, we have to protect these areas because you can't... These logging companies aren't going to protect it themselves. No. They'll... You know, like you say, if they, if they see it there and no one's causing a hullabaloo yeah. about it, they'll just do it. Because you're going to have some redneck in a grader and he's just going to start 
clearing a swath of land and yeah. putting roads and bridges in and they're gonna you know they, they don't they don't think of the bigger picture and man there's so much forest up north that's just crown land i don't know why they're trying to get into this area i don't know but if you go to friendsoftomogamy.org and you can read they got a whole lot more information there about saving solace wildlands uh, if you want to take take a peek, take a peek at it, and uh, they're they're collecting signatures, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, and maybe there's something you can help them out with. But yeah, you know what? There's there's a lot of canoe areas up there that like like canoe routes and stuff that you don't want to be hearing logging going on, and and you don't want to be coming across an area with a, a like say these portages yep. and a big road going through it, mm -hmm. logging trucks and and all that sort of stuff. So. Friends of Tomogamy, uh, dot org, and as well check out Hap Wilson's Facebook page. Uh, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we've been yapping for a while now, uh, and we're going to come back. And it's that time of year, not only for canoeing, paddling, stand-up paddleboarding, all that sort of stuff. It's race time. It's race season. So you get yeah, all the racing starting for the canoes and the kayaks, stand-up paddleboards. The Voyager Canoes, this is a new one this year, Yeah. Uh, what we're going to talk about. So yeah, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com, or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. We are going to talk about the Muskoka River X series. Yes. That's up in uh, Huntsville area. Uh, it was star started by Rob Horton and Mike Verrier. And, uh, of course, Algonquin Outfitters is a big sponsor, always yeah. has been. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's a series of races that happen throughout the summer uh, into the fall. And the first one is actually this weekend. Yes, uh, so May 26th on Saturday, Big East River X takes place. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the race itself was, there's a bit of a history behind it. Yes. Uh, it's basically based on trying to find the uh, a canal route. Yeah. So back in the day, during the uh, the fur trading, and there's there a lot of route finding. Like uh, we talked earlier in this episode about the Nostigan routes, mm -hmm. and uh, so this, this these areas were part of that. But the fur traders, they're they're trying to find more efficiencies, right? They're trying to, you know, they work a lot harder. They have a lot more people to throw at things, and so what they were trying to do is. Uh, find some way or route to create a canal or a passable passage so that there wouldn't be any overland parts of the route from Ottawa to basically Georgian Bay. But just anybody... Isn't that how, how uh, part of the Severn, Trent Severn uh, came Trent into Severn being? goes from basically Kingston, oh... Yeah, no. up into... So, like, but it's east of Kingston. What's the... Anyways, there's a... So it would be west of Kingston... Up. Yeah, Belleville. Belleville, yeah. yes. So basically Belleville, and it curves roughly up and to the west. Yeah. And ends up in Simcoe. And it. it I don't think it goes to Georgian Bay now, but it used, used to. to. Something like that, So yeah. I, I think it's, I, I'm not f that familiar with the, I've always wanted to do the route, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, so that was, and that, they took over a hundred years to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, when they tried to create or map out or, f uh, route find a canal route from Ottawa to Georgian Bay, they, obviously they didn't find it. There's just too much, uh, overland areas and there's no 
easy way. So, but they did end up mapping out a lot of the old Gnostican roots for uh, and with native help and they uh, and this here Muskoka River X series relies heavily on this history. So what they're doing is they're basically uh, they're recreating some of the roots and making it a race and and uh, it, it's it has it's you know it's steeped in history and stuff like this uh, so it but you get to race some of these ancient roots on the Muskoka River X series and the Muskoka River X series it's a it's a uh, basically four different races uh, there, it's uh, three different weekends on one weekend there's mm-hmm. two two big races and but there's it's three weekends throughout the summer every year well, they've sort of made it a fifth one because there's a little twist this year, which we'll talk about a little later. Yes. Uh, the first one, which is this weekend, is the Big East River X. That is divided into a couple of races. Uh, there's the 9K Family Recreation one. Yes. And that's basically a social friendly, fun event for families, for people that aren't all that experienced at paddling and those that just want to get out on the water for a day. Yeah. You know, have a little bit of fun and exactly nine kilometers. Yeah. Then the other part of this, this weekend is the 40 kilometer marathon and it follows flat water rivers up the Muskoka, the upper Muskoka river, the big East river and open water paddling on Lake Vernon. Uh, that's a lot of fun. You know, it gets you ready for the summer paddling and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's and the first race of the season. And a lot of people look at it as uh, as a uh, incentive to exercise and prep throughout the winter. Mm-hmm. Get out there and get your cardio going and, you know, go to the gym and do whatever. You know, it, it gets you prepared for the season. A lot of people really enjoy some of these early season races to get them on the fodder, fall on the water and get going for the season. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what the, that's what's happening this weekend. So the two of them get you going and, and whatnot. The other one that comes next uh, is this is kind of cool. The twenty four hours of River X, June sixteenth and seventeenth. Now I saw different dates. It's July sixteenth, seventeenth, or June sixteenth, seventeenth. Do we yeah, know June the actual sixteenth, seventeenth? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 24-hour marathon paddling race where solo tandem and relay teams race against the clock to complete as many laps of a 10-kilometer course as possible in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So there's you, you you get this one, they call it the transition zone and in Huntsville. And you start there and you do your 10 kilometers and you come back and you have to portage through the transition zone. Yeah. Right? But when you're there, you can change paddlers, you can resupply, you can do all these little things, and then you go through the zone, jump back in the water, and do another 10 kilometers. Yes. So if you, yeah, so I mean, if you got a team going and you got um, a support team, everything like that, then that that's perfect. And then, yeah, whoever does the most laps in 24 hours, whichever team, yep. are crowned... Kings, mm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The win, the winner in each category. And like you say, there's the the tandem, the solo, and the relay teams. So that's that's uh, mid June. Uh, so yeah, so like in not even a month. Hey, wicked hard, eh? yeah. Like I can't imagine twenty four hours at this time of year, and that water be cold if you yeah. took a little bit of a a dip. <laughs> the ones that we usually look at. Is the Muskoka River X, and that's in September, mid-September, 15th and 16th. There are usually two. There's a sprint and a classic, and this year they've added another one, which we'll, we'll save. The sprint is, uh, the sprint teams paddle 58 kilometers of the north branch of the Muskoka River, starting in Peninsula Lake through Port Sydney before ending their journey in Bracebridge. So it's 58 kilometers. Um, they want the Muskoka River X experience, but at a shorter distance. And they don't have to do an overnight upriver part. Okay. So yep. that's perfect for that. The classic, however, is the world's longest single-day expedition paddling race. Uh, this is the sixth year they're doing it. Teams will paddle the same 130-kilometer route, but in the reverse direction starting in Peninsula Lake 
teams paddle the north branch of the Muskoka River through Port Sydney to Bracebridge. Then they paddle upstream on the south branch of the Muskoka River to Baysville, finishing the race on Peninsula Lake. Teams paddle two river systems, three lakes, 20 portages for a total of 130 kilometers in less than 24 hours. No problem. So you, you're paddling overnight. <laughs> yes. Unsupported. Yes. So it's yes. all self-supported. Yep. No outside assistance, no support teams, no resupplies. Yeah. Nothing. You jump in your canoe and what you've got with you is exactly. what is going to last you for the next 24 hours. Uh, so make sure you got your M&Ms and gummy bears all ready to go. <laughs> yes. So those are the two that were usually that they usually do. The the sprint, which is the smaller one, and the classic, which is 130 kilometers. I I like the idea of the classic one, 130 kilometers. You got to go overnight, that sort of thing. What I really like is the twist. I'm excited about put this on one. This one, this one is really yes. cool. The Voyager class of the classic. Are you strong enough to be a Voyager? Voyagers. Work at least 14 hours a day, paddle 55 strokes per minute, and be able to carry two bundles across each portage between the lakes and rivers of the North Woods. A bundle generally consisted of beaver pelts or other furs weighing at 90 pounds <clears throat> on the way to Montreal. Yes. For a total of 180 pounds you're packing because you take two at a time. Yep. Or 90 pounds of trade goods coming back from Montreal. And again, 180 pounds across rugged terrain full of rocks, mud, mosquitoes, black flies. Sounds fun. Oh, yeah. So they've decided, well, let's take this Voyager style and we'll just add another little race to it here. So they've got the Voyager class and it pays tribute to the these legends of the fur trade with the Voyager class. By entering the Voyager class, you opt to choose one of a dozen handmade wooden crates filled with locally crafted goods and then transport that crate from the Huntsville Town Dock along the 130-kilometer Muskoka River X Classic route, so Huntsville, Port Sydney, Bracebridge, Baysville, and Huntsville, to its destination at the Hidden Valley Resort on Peninsula Lake. Your reward for accomplishing this arduous task? Bragging rights, of course. Mm-hmm. And you get to keep the crate and everything that's in it. And you don't get to know what's in it until you the end. You show up, you Pick register, and <laughs> there's a crate sitting there. Now, if you're tandem, so there's two of you. Yes. It's a two foot by one foot by one foot yes. crate. If you're going solo, it's a one foot by one foot by one foot. Which realistically isn't that big. No. When you're looking at it. But what's in it? Like, you could have, like, uh, dried goods or you could have, like... Dead body, somebody's maple head. Maple syrup. It could be full of maple syrup. And severed be head. Could be a severed head. Yeah. Toilet paper? <laughs> it could be toilet paper. <laughs> so it's going to be some sort of goods that they want you to transport. It, and, and I guess they're, they've, they've got sponsors, so it could be local maple syrup or local textiles well, or that's, something, Well, that's what they right? say, yeah. Uh, could be limited. Could include, but not limited to, maple syrup. Beer, yeah. dried meat, oats, honey, soap, and chocolate. Each box could also contain a door prize provided by one Muskoka River X sponsor. The crates will have handles and a tump line or head strap to assist in transport over portages. Crates are sealed shut prior to being picked up and must not be opened by the voyagers until they have arrived at their ultimate destination. So if you open it up, you're disqualified, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you do all your paddling, and at the end, when you get there... They have tools for you to open it. They have tools for you to open it. And How if you, cool is that, though? That's very cool. And if you don't make it, if you don't finish the race, you don't get the crate. That's right. Voyagers may bring wheels or additional straps padding to assist in transporting the crate across portages. Now, they say transport the crate, not the canoe. Yeah, so I don't know if you're allowed to have a... But in in the video that I saw on the history and, and the making of Moskoka River X, uh, you saw a lot of the kayakers had uh, kayak carts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like with modern canoes, like they're so light. It's, yeah. you're, waste, you, you're, you're wasting your effort by carrying the extra weight of a canoe cart. 
And the time to put it on, strap exactly. it on, and, and just go throw and it in your head and go. it and throw it back. Right? You're not going to have a big canoe pack. You're not even going to have a tent. Well, see, that's my thing is if you're going tandem, somebody carries a canoe. Somebody carries a crate. Somebody carries the crate. Yeah. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Problem solved. The payload of the crates will be packed in water-resistant fashion and resistant to bumps and knocks, but should not be considered waterproofed or drop-proofed. <laughs> Care may be taken to keep crate dry and in good condition. River X Racing is not responsible for damage to the goods contained within. <laughs> so that Ming vase you just won. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. The, the, the goal of the Voyager class is to add a fun yet challenging new objective to the MRX event. Participating Voyagers will be ranked by finish time in their appropriate watercraft category. Which is cool. Uh, yeah, paddlers uh, successfully transporting their crate uh, and delivering the crate to the dock at Hidden Valley Resort within 24 hours of the race start will be given the crate and its contents to keep. Well, wait a sec. If you don't go in 24 hours, but you go to all the way to the end, you still don't get to if keep the crate? If you make it in 25 hours, I'm thinking <laughs> you lose the crate. Tools to open the crate and inspect its contents will be available at the finish. Should the paddlers not successfully deliver the crate to Hidden Valley Resort via paddling, portaging within 24 hours of the start of the race, the crate and most of its contents will be forfeit. They say they may let you keep a couple yeah. of things out of it, but Token if things. there's any big things in it, you ain't getting yeah. it. Yeah, too bad, so sad. So sad, love dad. <laughs> that is an awesome addition that they've done this year. I like it. I, I You know what? Like, Yeah, you, you get... Somebody throws a canoe on, they boogie across the portage. The other guy's got, I don't know if you got a day pack with your sandwiches yeah. and stuff like that in it, your water, all that sort of stuff. And then you got this, like how heavy are these one by, if you figure a two by one by one box. Well, the box itself is going to be somewhat heavy. It's going to be made but of who solid who knows wood. what's inside it. Yeah, like if you got a <clears throat> six pack of beer. Dive weights. Oh. <laughs> Severed head. <laughs> Shovel the berry said severed head. Hammers and pickaxes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It can't be. I mean, it can't be absolutely massively heavy. No, no. You're thinking, well. You're, there's going to be limited you, if you, If you get a bag of oats, some a couple of jars of, because you got to think if it's tandem, it's probably going to be two of everything. I imagine. So you split it. Yeah. So two bottles of maple syrup. Yeah. Two bags of oats. Two massive chocolate Easter bunnies. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Solid. Think they're not going to go crazy for weight, but I would imagine that they're probably... It's more the wood, I think, yeah, that's going to be the yeah. heavy thing. So I imagine you're going to be looking at between 20 and 40 pounds, somewhere in that range, right? I wouldn't even put it at 40 pounds. Well, you But know, you never know. You never know. canoe yeah. weighs about 40 pounds, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, one guy tump lines that across yeah. with a backpack. Yeah. And the, the paddles, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the other guy's got the uh, the canoe. Yeah. And your boogie. Yeah. It's doable. <laughs> and you know what? I as much as it's it's as much fun as it would be to do the, the the race and finish and go yeah I finished the race yeah but to finish it in under twenty four hours and be wa- able to walk away with your crate this crate <laughs> yeah of cool you know and then you're just gonna be so bagged at the end you're not gonna be able to open it anyway <laughs> we'll have to look at some of the statistics I'm curious like of all the people that make it is there anybody that doesn't make it in the twenty four hours. And like when I looked at some of the, I think it was whenever that video was made, they said uh, 61 teams entered, 33 finished. But this wasn't the Voyager Classic. This was. No, this is just a this regular. This is the River X. This is yeah. the. But it's the same route as a River. Yes. Yeah. Classic. But you just got to carry a. It's extra weight. Extra weight with you. I'd be very tempted to do this. Huh. We should get some people together and see what we can do. Hmm. It sounds like a lot of fun. It does. Sounds like the Brent run all over You'd again. You'd have to have... But better. Headlamps. Yeah. With spare batteries. You'd have to have some some sort of energy food. You're not going to stop to cook a meal. So you don't need a stove. You don't need a tent. No, it'd all be energy food, man. You'd... Like, uh, the the only crickets. sense of warmth you have, you have some matches. You could start a fire. You'd have a space blanket in case of emergency. Because it is mid-September. Yeah. 
And so you'd have to be dressed for it for both hot and cold. This is doable. Yeah. Well, obviously it's doable, but I'm talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking for me it's doable. This is doable in an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) So the Big East River X is this weekend, May 26th up in Huntsville. The uh, do, 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 do. 24 Hours of River X is in um, oh, June. Oh, yeah, you know what? You had that's, July That's why I said, but I looked on the website. It and is it's, June. It's June. It's, it's June, June 16th and 17th. Yeah. And then the classics are September... F- 15th and 16th. 16th. So 16th. these are wrong, too. This is not the 17th. Yeah. So the where I found the information that I emailed to you, it was uh, slightly wrong because when you look at the actual website, it gives different dates. Different dates, yeah. So it's May 26, June 16, 17, September 15, 16 for the River X Sprint and Classic. Hmm. Huh. So if you want to see more information, because they have maps and everything, go to MuskokaRiverX.com. And you can see all this information we've talked about, more information. You can see maps and everything. And uh, hopefully, I think maybe we do the Voyager one. And uh, maybe see some people out on the yeah. in the river come Let's September. see if we can get some people together. And, uh, mm-hmm. That sounds great. It I does. think we'll do that. In the meantime, if you want to find more about us, us. you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find our episodes on iTunes. You can find them on Google Play, Player FM. And you can find them on our PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com website. Just click the episode tab at the top and you'll take you to the page where you can find all our previous episodes and this one. (laughs) I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. Uh, or today, I guess. Today, tonight? Today? Today, whatever. That'll do. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>